0: Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Due to the timeliness of this case, many of the key players are still alive, so for their privacy, their names have been changed.
1: Eddie, get out here! I just saw. Just hurry up. I'm coming! I'm coming! Right there. She's... She's not breathing.
2: Holy... Is that...
1: Look. In her hands.
2: What's she holding? It looks like bloody chunks of her own hair.
0: The dead woman's face was caved in and completely covered in blood. She would be unrecognizable to anyone but her closest friends and family.
3: Hours later, police were able to confirm what two people, who for their privacy we'll call Shelley Cooper and Eddie Fitz, had feared from the moment they came across the disfigured corpse.
0: The dead woman was their glamorous French neighbor, Sophie Toscan de Plantier. She was killed the day before Christmas Eve in the sleepy, idyllic town of Skull, West Cork, Ireland.
3: The events that followed Sophie's brutal murder would divide the formerly tight-knit community, shock the world, and expose the intimate secrets of a woman who led a double life.
0: This is Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories on the ParCast Network. I'm your host, Carter Roy.
3: And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every Tuesday, we dive into the world of a real unsolved murder and try to solve the case. This is our first episode on the murder of Sophie du Duplantier, a shocking and brutal killing that changed rural West Cork, Ireland forever.
0: At ParCast, we are grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we are doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at Parcast Network.
3: And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. We also now have merchandise. Head to parcast.com slash merch for more information. You
0: can listen to previous episodes of Unsolved Murders, as well as all of Parcast's other shows, wherever you listen to podcasts.
3: The small town of Skull in West Cork, Ireland, was not known for being exciting. The occasional celebrity moved in, seeking peace and quiet, but Skull remained primarily a farming community. In total, the town's population numbered under a thousand.
0: If one of the townspeople wanted to brag, They might mention that Skull was home to Ireland's only planetarium, with 51 seats and an 8-meter dome. Opened in 1989, the planetarium was the biggest news story to ever come out of Skull. But all of that changed on December 23, 1996.
3: Just two days before Christmas, a woman, whom we'll call Shelley Cooper for her privacy, was driving down the country lane that she shared with two neighbors— she saw a piece of white fabric hanging from the barbed wire fence. Shelley pulled over to investigate.
0: Beneath the shred of fabric lay a woman's body, dressed in her nightclothes, badly beaten and bloodied. She was entirely unrecognizable.
3: This was the town's first murder in 71 years. The police had never investigated a suspicious death before. This kind of thing wasn't supposed to happen here. Shelley
0: would later learn that she had found the body of Sophie Tuscan Duplantier, the rich, glamorous French television producer whose vacation home was just next door to Shelley and Eddie at the end of a long rural lane that wound up a remote
3: hill. As an experienced and celebrated documentary producer for France's Arte network, Sophie Tuscan Duplantier loved a story with mystery, drama, exciting twists and turns, colorful, real-life characters, and a picturesque setting. In a morbid irony, the story of her murder has all these traits and more.
0: Sophie de Plantier was born Sophie Bouniol on July 28, 1957. She was the epitome of French sophistication.
3: Her parents had both originated in the same small town in France, miles from the nearest city.
0: But her parents met, courted, fell in love, married, and chose to start a family in Paris. Even in the bustling city, the Bunyols cherished their small-town values. Family always came first.
3: Three years into her parents' union, Sophie was born, followed two years later by her younger brother.
0: When Sophie was 14, she and her brother
3: participated
0: in a foreign exchange program with Ireland. It was their first opportunity to experience life outside of France.
2: Sophie, wait up!
4: Run faster, Slowpoke!
2: Why can't you ever just wait for me?
4: You caught up eventually. Here, let's sit down and catch our breath.
2: The tide's coming in. We better head back soon.
4: I love this place. More than home? I'm going to live here when I grow up.
2: People from all over the world want to move to Paris, yet you want to leave Paris for an Irish cow pasture. (laughs) Race you back to the house.
3: This trip very possibly sparked her love of Ireland and ultimately brought her back all those years later.
0: As a teenager, Sophie developed a strong interest in literature and language and began writing poetry.
3: Sophie's family expected her to pursue a career as a poet or a writer, but she didn't follow through on those early aspirations. After briefly attending law school and dropping out, Sophie held various odd jobs, none of them very rewarding. She spent most of her time with her new boyfriend, who soon became her fiancé.
0: In 1980, at age 22, Sophie married her first love, Pierre-Jean Baudet-Vignon.
3: Within a year of their marriage, her son, Pierre-Louis Baudet-Vignon, was born.
0: But barely a year after their wedding, Sophie and Pierre-Jean separated. Their son was just a few months old. The couple ultimately divorced two years later,
3: in 1983, when Sophie was 26. After her divorce, Sophie moved close to her parents and continued to hop between jobs while her parents were able to take care of her son.
0: But as a new mother, Sophie became serious about getting her career onto a better track. Before 1983 was over, Sophie got a job in the public relations department at UniFrance, a company that works to promote
3: French film internationally. Sophie dedicated herself to her professional growth. For the first time in her life, she stuck with a job. For five years, she climbed the ranks at Unifrance.
0: However, by 1988, she was feeling frustrated with her manager and planned to quit.
3: That was until the then chairman of Unifrance, Daniel Duplantier, personally asked her to stay. He became something of a mentor and nurtured Sophie's growing love of film.
0: He even asked her to accompany him to a prestigious dinner during the 1989 Cannes Film Festival. Sophie at first refused. She had no desire to mix her personal and professional lives, but Daniel persuaded her to attend solely in her capacity as a public relations professional.
3: In spite of Sophie's initial reluctance, new love grew between Sophie and Daniel when they started spending time together outside of work. The couple's age difference didn't stop them from falling head over heels for each other. In
0: 1990, when Sophie was 33 and Daniel was 50... The couple married.
3: Sophie began to produce and direct documentaries for Arte, the nationally subsidized French television network. Her husband continued his work as the chairman of Unifrance.
0: Their lives were a parade of red carpets, prestigious events, and rubbing elbows with the rich and powerful of the French film industry.
3: As glamorous as all that sounds, the constant gaze of the public eye wore on Sophie. She found herself craving a bit of quiet, and a simpler sort of life. She dreamed of having the space and time to get back to her writing. Her life in Paris with Daniel had lost its luster.
0: This yearning for a change spread into Sophie's romantic life, too. In 1992, four and a half years before her murder, she began an affair with a French artist, to whom we'll give the pseudonym Bernard.
3: The two were introduced following an art workshop in Paris and soon began seeing each other romantically. According to Bernard, there's a good chance Sophie's husband Daniel knew about the affair. Bernard's
0: comments to police after Sophie's murder suggested that there was an understanding, or maybe even a formal contract, between Sophie and Daniel governing their private conduct.
3: During this time, Sophie continued to accompany Daniel to public events, where she played her part as his devoted wife. But her affair with Bernard carried on into 1993. Bernard understood her as an artist and a writer, while Daniel was focused on the more practical world of the film business.
0: Also in 1993, at the age of 35, Sophie purchased a holiday home in Skull in West Cork, Ireland, not far from where she'd enjoyed her exchange program at age 14. She situated herself close to the seaside and far enough up a remote hill that she could be totally alone whenever she pleased.
3: Sophie's closest friends in the area were shopkeepers, cheesemakers, her neighbors, and her housekeeper.
0: Definitely a different crowd than the celebrities and politicians she spent most of her time with in France. She did, however, tend to bring a little bit of France with her to Ireland in the form of her family and friends.
3: Sophie always traveled to Ireland with at least one of her loved ones. Her favorite cousin, who we'll call Margot, was a frequent travel companion.
0: Also on the guest list, at least in 1993, was Bernard. Sophie took her lover to Ireland with her, where he helped her set up her new home.
3: Sophie went to Ireland to write, so it makes sense that she took her artistic beau with her. He saw her for the poet she had been as a teenager— Not the wife, mother, and film executive she was when they had met.
0: But like most affairs, it couldn't
2: last forever. Sophie, please. Let's both calm down and enjoy our Christmas together. Don't shut me out like this. We know each other better than that.
4: You hardly know me. You only know one side of me.
2: I know the real you. I know your strength and your fragility. I know how sensitive you are, and how you withdraw into yourself when you're afraid. I want you to go. Did you really bring me all the way to Ireland to dump me on Christmas Day? We couldn't have had this fight in Paris? I had no idea you weren't happy with me.
4: Bernard, we aren't boyfriend and girlfriend. I'm married, and we're sleeping together. And now, after today, we're not. I hope we can be friends.
2: What kind of friends? Like the friends in your husband's world? You want me to fawn over your gowns and ask you about how much money your latest film made? You don't belong in that world, Sophie. You're an artist.
4: I've had enough of being told what I am. I don't care who you want me to be any more than I care who Daniel wants me to be. You've drunk enough of my wine and eaten enough of my food for one Christmas. Get out.
3: Sophie dumped Bernard on Christmas in 1993, apparently without warning. We do know for certain that Sophie and Bernard did not go on to be friends and spoke only once more in 1996.
0: That brief conversation was about one of his paintings.
3: Yet, even after breaking up with Bernard, Sophie continued her frequent trips to West Cork, often taking various friends and family members with her for company. Although there was one very important person who she never took with her to Ireland... Perhaps it was this decision that led to her ultimate demise.
0: We'll talk more about Sophie's travel companions after this. On Unsolved Murders, we explore the facts of real-life true crime cold cases. But if you're looking for more true crime cases with a bit of a twist, you should check out the podcast Original Female Criminals. When you think of a criminal, what do you picture? you picture a murderer, a gangster, a thief? I bet you didn't think it could be the mother around the corner or the little old lady next door. Female Criminals investigates the lives of the world's most notorious female felons and explores the stories behind their dangerous crimes. These criminals come in every form, from serial killers and assassins to bank robbers and drug lords. Female Criminals is like a mystery and crime documentary rolled into one. New episodes premiere every Wednesday. Follow Female Criminals free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: And now, back to the story. On Christmas
0: Day, December 25th, 1993... Sophie Toscan de Plantier broke up with her boyfriend Bernard after traveling with him to her vacation home in West Cork, Ireland.
3: Sophie and Bernard did not speak for over three years, but Sophie continued to visit her vacation home in Ireland without him. She often took friends and family along with her, but there was one person she never brought to the Irish countryside.
0: Daniel de Plantier, her own husband. It's difficult to say why her husband stayed away from West Cork, but if he really did know about the affair, the house might have brought up bad memories for him.
3: Or perhaps Sophie never invited him. After all, she liked to be a different person in West Cork than she was at home in Paris. Although she always brought company with her to Ireland, she often isolated herself in the house and spent hours writing, leaving her guests to fend for themselves.
0: Of course, it's also entirely possible he just didn't care for West Cork. Daniel loved all the Parisian glamour that left Sophie exhausted. When they traveled together, he preferred exotic locales like Africa over cute Irish villages.
3: Daniel and Sophie lived together for several years after her breakup with her boyfriend. Time went by without incident, and by 1996, in the weeks leading up to her death, Sophie finished a project for the Arte Network, visited a film festival in Acapulco, and attended holiday events and parties for her husband's work. She was eager to get away to West Cork and spend some quiet time before Christmas.
0: As excited as Sophie was for her trip, she couldn't spark the same enthusiasm in the pals who were usually eager to accompany her for a holiday in Ireland.
4: Margo! I hope you're packing your appetite. My neighbors in Skull want to know for free for dinner on...
1: That's actually why I'm calling. I'm so sorry, but I can't get away. I'm having some issues with the kids.
4: Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that.
1: I'm the one who should be sorry. I know you were counting on me for company. Will you be able to find someone to take my place?
4: With Christmas coming up, I doubt it, but it's for the best. I've got reams of writing to do.
1: But a woman staying alone in the middle of nowhere just doesn't seem safe.
4: Marco, darling, this is Skull we're talking about. The most dangerous thing in the whole township is Mr. Riley's prize bull.
1: A real bull? Sounds pretty frightening to me. I guess I'm a city girl. <laughs>
4: <laughs> You'll come next spring. Promise?
1: I promise. Is that... Eloise, what are you doing? Oh, I've gotta go, she's sticking a crayon in the... Eloise!
0: For the first time in the five years she owned the home, Sophie decided to travel to Skull alone. Everyone she invited had turned her
3: down. One can't help but wonder if things might have turned out differently had Sophie not been alone in Cork.
0: (laughs) On December 19, 1996, Sophie de Plantier spent one last evening living the high life in Paris.
3: Sophie! Sophie over here! It's been ages.
4: Marcella? I'm seeing a ghost. Are you really back in Paris? As of yesterday. We shot for six months in Turkey and four in Hungary. If I were you, I'd be home in bed after all that.
0: Believe me, I'm running on fumes. How about you? I trust you've taken over the French film industry entirely while I was away.
4: You're too sweet. I just wrapped on a project, and I've got two more fully funded that start shooting at the beginning of next year. But what I'm really excited about is getting some time to write.
0: Ireland again? You know, most people who want to go
4: to the seaside in December think Caribbean. Jamaica maybe? Bahamas? You're exactly right. Everyone we know is in the Caribbean. Which is why I go to Ireland.
3: Can't argue with that logic.
4: Hold that thought. I just spotted Claude by the bar. I haven't seen him since he poached my assistant. Have some decency and leave something for his wife to bury, will you?
0: Sophie and her husband attended the annual Christmas party for uni France. The event was at a fashionable Paris nightclub and was filled with celebrities and filmmakers.
3: She left early the next morning, December 20th, catching the 11.30 a.m. flight to Dublin.
0: The plane landed in Dublin at 1 p.m. Sophie remained on board to connect to the Cork airport, landing at 2.25 p.m.
3: Just five minutes after landing, security footage shows her wheeling her luggage into the arrival hall.
0: Sophie quickly picked up her rental car and by 2.40 p.m. she was on the road.
3: After stopping at a Texaco station for some household supplies, she arrived at her home in West Cork at 4.30 p.m.
0: She drove through the gate at the end of the lane, which she shared with two other properties.
3: One of the homes was also a holiday home owned by a family that stayed there occasionally.
0: The other home was owned by the neighbors, Shelley Cooper and her partner, who we'll call Eddie Fitz. They were year-round residents. A local woman, who we'll call Angeline, worked as the caretaker of Sophie's house while Sophie was in France.
3: Angeline had the house ready for Sophie, with a fire stoked to greet her on the wintry Irish day.
0: Angeline even put up decorations for Christmas as a surprise for Sophie, She lined the window sills and mantles with fresh holly.
3: It was a thoughtful gesture, one typical of Angeline, and just one example that illustrates how fond many of the people in town had become of Sophie.
1: Sophie, it's Angeline. I just wanted to call and make sure you got to the house all right, and I hope you'll be spending Christmas in the village this year. Uh, You should see the decorations on Main Street.
4: I'm not sure. I have to be back by New Year's. Daniel and I are going to West Africa to ring in 1997 with some friends. But I haven't decided where I'm spending Christmas.
1: Well, if you do end up staying, we'd love to have you here for dinner on Christmas Eve. You know you're like family.
4: You're too kind. I'll call you back as soon as I know when I'm leaving. For now, I'm in the mood for a glass of wine by the fire.
3: Sounds perfect. Take care now. It sounds like they got along pretty well.
0: By all accounts, it seems like they did. But it's surprising that Sophie told Angeline she didn't know when she was going to be flying home to Paris. She had booked two tickets to travel home, one on the 23rd and one on the 24th. But whichever trip she took, she'd be leaving before Christmas Eve. Why not tell Angeline she couldn't make it to dinner?
3: According to her friends and family, Sophie was nothing if not friendly and polite. She might not have wanted to disappoint Angeline.
0: After she hung up with the caretaker, Sophie had a brief phone call with a friend from France and then retired to bed around midnight. Her bed was on top of a custom stand that Sophie had commissioned. It raised the mattress just enough that she could see the flashing light of the nearby Fastnet lighthouse through her window. Apparently, it calmed her.
3: Sophie kept to herself for most of the 21st. As far as can be ascertained, she ran some errands and returned home by 4.15 p.m., remaining there for the rest of the day.
0: On the next day, December 22nd, her movements are more clear.
3: Sophie started the day by driving down the peninsula and going for a walk by the sea, admiring
0: the view. She visited some friends after lunch, a French couple staying nearby that she had met during one of her previous visits.
3: Next... Sophie called on some friends who owned a waterfront restaurant, one of her favorite eateries in the area. Sophie! I didn't know you were coming.
2: Hey honey, Sophie's here! Sophie! Who's the lucky second fiddle this time?
4: Believe it or not, nobody could come with me. All my friends are either home getting ready for Christmas with their families, or on some tropical holiday.
2: Will you be here through Christmas? If so, you have to come in for a drink. You won't get our hot mulled wine in Paris.
4: I'm not sure when I'm returning home, but if I'm around, I'll make a point of stopping by.
0: Once again, Sophie told friends she wasn't sure if she'd be in town on Christmas, but she'd booked two flights, both of which left before Christmas. That's starting to sound like she was hiding something.
3: Or she was just being polite. Sophie was known for being extremely friendly, kind, and generous. She wouldn't have wanted to disappoint or upset anyone. Of course, it seems like someone did get angry with her. The wrong someone.
0: Sophie returned to her holiday home on the hill and tried to give Angeline a call around 7.30 p.m. Angeline's daughter answered and told Sophie that Angeline wasn't home. She made a couple more calls, one wishing a friend in Paris happy birthday another to a local tradesman who had worked on her house all of them were unavailable eventually around 9 pm she tried angeline again but she still wasn't home
3: angeline got home just a short while later and returned sophie's call
0: according to angeline their call was brief and casual they made a plan to meet at noon the next day so angeline could pass on some bills for the house and introduce the tradesman who plastered her walls Sophie liked his work and was hoping he could do some other rooms in the house.
3: Sophie apologized for not dropping in to visit. They finished their call after about 15 minutes. Sophie began a nighttime routine, but the night of December 22nd was a
0: cold one. She pulled two chairs together by the radiator in the kitchen, something she apparently did often so she could rest her feet as she read.
3: Beside her, she had a bowl of olives and a bottle of champagne which she never opened.
0: It is strange that she brought out a bottle of champagne, but never opened it.
3: Maybe she changed her mind, or just got tired and went to bed, or maybe she was expecting someone that never came.
0: Well, That's an interesting thought, but I'm not sure we have enough evidence to support it.
3: Before going to bed, she made one last call at 11 p.m. It was her first call to her husband, back in France. He was speaking with someone else on the other line, but just a few minutes later, he called her back.
0: Darling, it's good to hear from you. How are you?
2: How's the trip?
4: It's freezing here. I'm huddled up by the radiator.
2: It's lovely in Paris. I went out without a jacket earlier.
4: You're just trying to make me come home early.
2: Maybe I am. Did you decide when you're returning?
4: I'm not sure. Maybe I'll leave you and stay here forever.
2: It's hardly in the Christmas spirit.
4: (laughs) You've got me there. Fine, fine. I'll come back Christmas Eve. I'll cancel the other flight tomorrow.
3: I can't wait. Good night, Cherie. So it looks like she finally settled on her trip.
0: It appears so. Although we only have Daniel's word on what was said during their conversation, there's no reason to believe he was lying.
3: Especially considering their phone call went on until about midnight. Sounds like a happy couple catching up after some time apart.
0: Or an estranged couple hashing it out.
3: After the phone call, Sophie went to bed in the guest room, rather than in her master bedroom, bringing her book. Because Angeline had thought that Sophie's cousin would be coming along, she had prepared the guest room in addition to Sophie's.
0: With the temperature dropping to zero degrees Celsius, Sophie most likely chose to sleep in the guest room because it was above the kitchen and had a small electric heater.
3: She had changed into her night clothes, a white t-shirt and leggings, and went to bed. There, she fell asleep reading a book of William Yeats' poetry.
0: What we don't know, and may never know, is what woke Sophie again in the wee hours of the morning, or what caused her to go outside in her night clothes.
3: But after she left her bed later that night... Sophie never returned.
0: We'll get more in-depth on the night of Sophie's murder after this.
3: And now, back to the story.
0: On December 23rd, 1996, Sophie Toscan de Plantier, a famed French documentary producer was found murdered outside of her vacation home in West Cork, Ireland.
3: After her body was found, police went through her bedroom and carefully recorded what they discovered, including the page Sophie's book was left open to.
0: The last poem Sophie ever read was titled A Dream of Death.
3: December 23rd, the day of Sophie's murder, was another bitterly cold day in West Cork, Ireland, and one of the shortest days of the year.
0: It was just before 10 a.m. when Shelley made her horrific discovery and summoned her partner, Eddie.
3: Sophie was found splayed out on the ground, her leg caught in some barbed wire. Her face was bloody.
0: She was wearing the t-shirt and leggings she slept in, along with a pair of lace-up boots. There was a navy dressing gown crumpled by her side and a clump of hair squeezed tight in her clenched fist.
3: The boots and dressing gowns suggest that she went outside of her own accord. Her outfit also implies that she had either just woken up or might have been speaking to someone that she knew well, someone she would have been comfortable talking to in her pajamas and dressing gown.
0: Sophie's face was so beaten and bloodied Eddie couldn't tell who it was, but his mind immediately went to his neighbor. He raced up the hill to try to wake her, hoping he would find her at home and alive.
2: Sophie!
3: Sophie! Sophie!
0: After getting no response at her door, he rang the police.
3: Eddie called the Garda, the Irish police force, at 10.10am. By 10.38, a squad car with two officers arrived at the scene.
2: Christ, look at all that blood. I've never seen anything like this before. Nobody in West Cork seen anything like this before. Looks like she was beaten badly. Cuts all over her arms, her face crushed in with a blunt object. There's a bloody cavity block right there. You think that's blunt enough? What kind of animal bashes a woman's head in with a concrete block? It has to be someone from out of town. Things like this just don't happen here. At 11 a.m.,
0: a doctor arrived at the scene to pronounce the body dead. It was, of course, obvious to everyone, but a physician must make the official pronouncement for legal reasons.
3: The doctor also noted that rigor mortis had sent in. Rigor mortis is a stiffening of the muscles after death. It can happen in as little as four hours, which would imply she had been dead since at least 7 a.m.
0: And police later found no lights on in her home, implying the sun might have already been up by the time she woke, so an early morning timeline fits.
3: Unfortunately, that's as close to a time of death as authorities were ever able to ascertain.
0: At 11.20 a.m., a priest arrived to perform last rites. Ireland is a predominantly Catholic country, so this would have been typical of any body found.
3: But the matter also remained of definitively identifying the body. Although Shelley and Eddie suspected that it was Sophie, they didn't know her well enough to make a positive ID.
2: Can I get by please? I'm late to meet a friend. This is an active crime scene. Your friend's going to have to wait. Please take a few steps back. A crime scene? What's happened? Is everyone okay? A tarp. There's not someone under it, is there? Sir, may I ask what exactly you're doing here? I... My wife and I were supposed to meet a friend of ours, Sophie. She owns the house right up the hill. Is she okay? Have you seen her? She isn't the one... hurt. Is she? You know Madame Duplantier? Oh, yes. Yes, of course. My wife takes care of her house when she's not here. For the past five years. We invited her over for Christmas. Sir, I apologize for asking, but do you think you might be able to tell me if you recognize the deceased? I... I can try. It's her! It's Sophie!
0: And so it became official. The murdered woman found on the side of the road, the woman who would forever be linked with the tiny town of Skull and West Cork, was the glamorous and sophisticated Sophie Toscan de Plantier. But with that answer only came more questions. Throughout the day on December 23, 1996, Police patrolled the road where Sophie de plantiers body was found. Some took shifts watching over her body, while others searched her home.
3: The region had been without murder for 74 years, since 1922. The low levels of crime meant there was a low demand for forensic scientists, and as such, the region only had one state-licensed pathologist. He was unable to make it to Skull until the next day.
0: As the sun set, police debated what to do with the
2: body.
3: Best we get her to the morgue soon.
2: What are you doing? We can't move the body before the pathologist sees her. Have you lost your mind? This is someone's daughter, someone's mother. She's out here in the wet and cold. By morning, somebody's dog will be gnawing on an arm. Congratulations, you just volunteered yourself for the night watch. But I- See you in the morning.
0: And so a tarp was purchased at a local hardware store, then laid over Sophie's body. She was left lying in the road until the next morning.
3: That seems strange. Surely a complete record of the scene would already have been taken, and they probably lost a lot of evidence with the body out in the elements for over 24 hours.
0: They did. As a result of Sophie's body being left out overnight, the pathologist was never able to identify a specific time of death.
3: Meanwhile, back in France, Sophie's mother had a growing feeling of dread, although she didn't yet know about her daughter's murder, largely due to a lack of communication.
0: There were serious communication issues between the Irish and French authorities, which meant Sophie's family was not informed promptly of her death. And when they finally did hear about their tragic loss, it wasn't from the police
2: reports have come in of a woman found dead in the town of Skull in West Cork, Ireland. Police are unable to release the victim's name at this time, but she is a French citizen in her late thirties
1: George, get in here! A woman has been murdered in Ireland. A French woman.
0: You think it's Sophie? Just because she's French.
1: It's the right part of Ireland. Skull. And the woman was her age. We have to call and see if she's alright.
2: When you get in touch with her, she's going to laugh at you for scaring everyone like this. I'm sure she's fine.
1: I hope you're right."
0: After seeing report on the news, Sophie's mother began to call the whole family to see if anyone had heard anything.
3: Call after call, everyone was shocked by the possibility but had no information. Eventually, Sophie's aunt and cousin joined in on the search.
0: Sophie's cousin, who we will call Margot to protect her privacy, finally got in touch with Irish authorities, but they refused to confirm the victim's name.
3: Eventually, 13 hours after Sophie's body had been discovered, her cousin was able to get in touch with Angeline. Hello?
1: Angeline, it's me, Margot. I'm so, so terribly sorry. How is the family doing? What are you saying sorry for? Angeline, please speak plainly. Everyone is panicking here. We can't reach Sophie. Didn't the Garda call you? Call us about what? You're talking in circles. I... I don't think I should say anything. She's my cousin. I was supposed to be there with her. Please. Is Sophie alive? I'm so sorry for your loss. She was a a wonderful woman. (laughs)
3: So finally, on the night of December 23, 1996, while Sophie's body still laid under a tarp in the road, Sophie's family learned that they would never see her again. And as they dealt with their grief, the investigation was slowly carrying on. The
0: pathologist arrived at the crime scene the next morning. After examining the scene, he had the body brought to Cork University Hospital, where an autopsy was performed.
3: Sophie had died from a fractured skull and blunt force trauma, confirming the findings at the crime scene.
0: Sophie's brother and both parents made the trip to West Cork on Christmas Day to see Sophie's body. They were, as one might expect, distraught.
3: I can't help but notice her husband isn't on that list of family members.
0: He never saw her body. Daniel told the journalist who would eventually write a book about the case,
3: I knew the extent of Sophie's injuries from conversations
0: with the police, and I could not bear to have remembered her as anything but the beautiful, vibrant woman that I knew and loved. I would have been haunted by the mutilation of her face, and it would have obliterated the wonderful memories of her smiles.
3: That's a beautiful sentiment from a loving husband. Unless he had other more sinister reasons for avoiding the scene of the crime.
0: Husbands are usually suspected when wives are murdered, but although some are still suspicious of Daniel's involvement in Sophie's death to this day, police never seriously considered him as a suspect.
3: I guess being hundreds of miles away in France at the time is a pretty good alibi. Exactly. On December 28, 1996, five days after her murder, Sophie's body was brought to Toulouse, France. She was laid to rest at a cemetery in Ambox the next day.
0: At this point, it had been nearly a week since Sophie's murder and the Irish Garda were not making any visible progress with the investigation.
3: They had spent days scouring for DNA evidence, looking around for witnesses, checking Sophie's home for leads, and so far couldn't find much of anything that was useful.
0: Well, they ruled out a robbery, there was no sign of forced entry, and the only thing missing from the home was a fire poker. The poker was deemed a possible weapon in Sophie's assault, but it was never found.
3: Not to mention the graphic and brutal nature of the case, which made robbery unlikely.
0: You're right. Sophie was seemingly chased down the hill from her home, beaten with multiple weapons, and ultimately had her skull crushed by a nearby cinder block.
3: It sounds like something far more personal than a burglary gone bad.
0: After reportedly interviewing thousands of people, the Garda had over 50 suspects.
3: With so little evidence, the threshold for considering someone a suspect was pretty low.
0: Despite the lack of progress, or maybe because of it, Sophie's face was plastered across newspapers and news reports for weeks. Tabloids offered theories on the case, published rumors about her final days, and reported on Sophie's affairs, both the one with Bernard and other less substantiated theories.
3: Reporters seeking statements, photos, or confirmations of the rumors mobbed the family. Journalists were quick to offer their opinions on the investigation, and in some cases were even accused of false reporting.
0: Which meant the Garda was under constant scrutiny and coming up with nothing.
3: But. All that changed on January 11th, 1997, nearly three weeks after the murder, when the Garda got their first big break in the case.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to Unsolved Murders. We'll be back next Tuesday with Part 2 of Sophie's Story.
3: You can find more episodes of Unsolved Murders, as well as all of ParCast's other podcasts, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcast directory.
0: Several of you have asked how to help us if you enjoy the show. The best way to help is to leave a five-star review.
3: And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network.
0: We'll see you next time.
3: If... We live till next time.
0: Unsolved murders, true crime stories was created by Max Cutler and developed by Ron Cutler. It is a production of Cutler Media and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Muller. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Freddie Beckley. Unsolved Murders is written by Nick Brovinder, and stars Carter Roy and Wendy McKenzie. The amazing cast of voice actors includes, in alphabetical order, Freddie Beckley, Mike Capozzi, Jerry Courtney Osteen, Rebecca Diamond, Steve Pinto, and Dan Velasquez.